Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Never fear, Stephen will be back on Monday. Moraka has made a career straddling that boundary between comedy and journalism. His breakout role came along with several of today's most prominent comedians as a correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Since then, he's been a favorite with NPR audiences as a frequent panelist on the weekly news game show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Lately, he's been building a reputation as a more serious journalist, I would say, on CBS Sunday Morning uh, and on CBS and other capacities as well. He's also becoming more familiar around here in Southeast Michigan as part of that role on CBS, filming a a show of uh, basically highlighting what's going on at the Henry Ford in Dearborn called Innovation Nation. Moraka was in town last week to help kick off the Our Common Future convention. It's a gathering of minds who work in the not-for-profit world. I caught up with him at the convention. We talked about his career, straddling that line again between humor and news, and his relationship with Metro Detroit. Here's our conversation. We're in the middle of our fourth season taping Innovation Nation, and we have such a heavy production schedule that it's hard for us to leave the Dearborn area, but we've been doing our best to venture downtown to different restaurants after we uh, finish shooting. And it's an interesting measure of the progress that Detroit is making that in the first season, or two, we kind of ran out of places. And now each time I come back, I shoot three times each year. So I'm about to make, let me do the math here. I'm about to make my 12th visit. But each time I come back, there are one or two more places to go to. So they keep sprouting up. And uh, maybe we're being too finicky because I'm sure there's hundreds of restaurants we could go to in Detroit, of course. But uh, but it's I think it's a, it's a neat sign of its ascendancy that there are so many quote-unquote hip cool places to go to. Mm. I'm sure Detroit certainly never appreciated being known as a wasteland in the past, as some people characterized it that way. But I can't imagine that they like being known as a city that's that's being revitalized solely by artisanal cheesemakers. I mean, because that's not accurate either. Very true, very true. Uh, you know, when it comes to a lot of different aspects of what you do, comedy, humor, um, journalism... I almost feel like the narrative has changed a lot on Detroit. It seems like this resurgence in downtown and midtown specifically has sort of taken the punchline away in some ways. Oh, completely. I think you'd have to be a real hack to make Detroit your punchline. That that hasn't stopped people over the years, of course. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I'm I'm sure. But I, I can see how maybe years back in deft hands it might have been a good punchline, but no more. I think, I don't know. I think that if you're making fun of Detroit now, you're missing the mark. And I think a, a joke that lands has to be pretty precise and it has to it has to ring true. And so it just wouldn't ring true. Aside from the fact that, I don't mean this to sound patronizing, everyone's rooting for Detroit. There's so much anxiety about things in general right now. So, you know, Detroit is, is the kind of story that will make the rest of us all feel better about things. Um, I want to talk about your career and how you have kept one foot in comedy pretty solidly, I would say, and another foot in 
journalism. I mean, and, and, and enter entertainment sort of in between there too. Um, you know, a lot of people might think from your work on CBS Sunday Morning that this is relatively new in your career, but you've been doing journalism for probably over a decade now, right? Yeah, I, I have been. And you know, one thing when I when I was on the Daily Show with John Stewart when he, when he was hosting it, I, I feel like I need to say that now because Trevor Noah has really distinguished himself now, and it's been a while. But um, that was my first on camera work, and John Stewart used to always say, I didn't really quite understand it at the time, but he used to always say, "Oh, it's just telling stories. It's just telling stories when we go out and do field pieces," and um, and that is true. And so I don't really. It's funny. Sometimes people will say to me oh, when did you stop performing? And, you know, my colleagues in news might not love to hear this, but I still consider it performing. I consider it all kind of the same thing. I was going to say on the same continuum. That sounds so pretentious, but that's the best way to put it, maybe. It's a public radio audience. It's okay. <laughs> right. So I, that's right. I can do that. <laughs> I, feel, I should feel free. But the... um. Um, no, I just, you know, d doing a, on Sunday morning, I'll do uh, three and a half or maybe even if I'm, if, uh, if it warrants it, an 11 minute field piece. And it is the same as what I would do on the Daily Show. Um, tonally, obviously, it might be different, not necessarily um, in all cases, but, uh, but it's just telling, it's just telling stories. Yeah. And, and, and also with even the, the shows that you do now, there, there is a certain, for lack of a better term, and forgive me for this, but goofiness about sort of how you approach some things, like, you know, when, when, you're, tr when you're doing travel segments, that sort of thing, um, in, in, in a good way. Um, so balancing that with more, with, with other sort of journalism that you're doing, talk about how you do that and also uh, very effectively get the audience to take you seriously on, on other stories as well. Well, I think that, um, I mean... <clears throat> I sort of use as my kind of North Star sort of enthusiasm. I've always believed, I used to go around to college campuses doing a live slideshow um, about presidential homes and grave sites because I've been all over the country, really as a hobbyist, as a, as a history buff, visiting offbeat historic sites um, and, and meeting the docents, a favorite NPR word, um, that, that work there. And I, and I learned from that experience that if, if I were genuinely excited about something that other people would then, it would be contagious. They would also become excited about it as well. So I just try to sound like myself and, and do that when I cover the stories. I realize that some people may kind of roll their not roll their eyes, but some people may think, well, he can, then can't do a story about gerrymandering. Well, in fact, I am doing a story about gerrymandering as, right now. And that's a little bit of luck because my, my boss at CBS Sunday Morning, a man, man, man named Rand Morrison, has been a, like just a, a huge supporter of mine and realized that if I were funny or even goofy in some things, that, wouldn't, that shouldn't preclude me then from doing a piece about something that really matters. And, you know, um, not that funny things don't matter, but um, so, and, and I kind of think in media in general, all those walls have come down that if you're going to be on news, you have to speak with a certain cadence. Like, I, I, I'm not sure that the audience wants that anyway.
not to throw anyone under the bus here, but there's been a lot of talk lately about Megyn Kelly's show and whether or not she is, you know, trying to go into the sort of like an Oprah zone, if you will, you know, from a more hard-hitting journalism background. Uh, I'm just curious why you think uh, it's such a tough thing to to balance and sort of how do you approach that? Well, I think that it's, I can only speak for myself, it's kind of a lifelong struggle to to hone your voice and this sounds new agey and I'm not a new agey person at all but to sound like yourself it's a real struggle doing wait wait don't tell me was really important for me because when I started doing it I didn't like the way I sounded well no what it, I don't think I was as as good on the show at the beginning because I was still doing a daily show style thing which for da- daily show worked like the whole thing of arched eyebrow and kind of making fun of a reporter and I was afraid to sound like myself because you know how you you, you hear your voice recorded for the first time in life and you wince mm-hmm. you cringe but I kind of let go and started sounding like myself and I started having a better time on the show and I think the audience started appreciating what I was doing more so I do think it's a struggle to do that and listen you know Megan Kelly I happened to be watching because I was sort of like a gawker about it too like what's going on with this show and I happened to tune in when she made the remarks about Bill O'Reilly and sexual harassment and I did kind of think you know what her show's gonna work because she's like She's come back to herself. If um, it's hard, man, because she was also moving from, and and I think she'll succeed now. But uh, but I think she was moving from a very specific role on a very polarizing network, uh, and broadcast is still hard. I still think there's a role for broadcast television, but it's hard. It's like going from an elective or a seminar, or something for a very specific crowd. Um, let me strain this metaphor, but then going to, and then teaching a 101 course, which is its own art. I mean, you got to bring a lot of people into that tent. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and sort of the political uh, comedy that, that, that you engage in now. When you started on The Daily Show uh, and when, when George W. Bush was president, it seemed like the controversy surrounding him and his personality and all those things made it easier for comedians and humorists in in many ways that that he was sort of there was just a lot of uh, a lot of material there and it definitely seemed like that was the case with Donald Trump when he started especially and when he was elected that that he's just a personality that um, that lends itself to that but at the same time there's a lot of anxiety out there right now in in the American uh, electorate, in the American population. I, I'm just wondering, how do you compare the two in terms of uh, sources of material for comedy? Uh, is there a difference? Well, I think that there are two challenges when you compare the two, two challenges to having making comedy about Trump. One is technical, and I think one is much more fundamental, maybe even existential. The, the technical one, I think, is that there's a there's an annoying Hollywood development term called big on big, or, or also known as a joke on joke. Like, you can't make a joke about something that's already kind of jokey and outrageous. There's nowhere to go. And, you know, a lot of people have said, like SNL, sometimes they're just really reciting lines that Trump has actually said. He's already made the joke, and so he's inoculated himself in a way, right? That We saw that on the campaign. It was just so outrageous. 
this. And so you, and, and, you know, I think the South Park guys actually, who are so amazing, so they wouldn't do Trump stuff. And I don't know if they, they, they changed their minds. Maybe they decided that after a while. But I think for this very reason, because there's nowhere to go with it. But I think now the challenge is that it's all so um, unsettling because I think that th- there's really that question hanging out there is, is our democracy too fragile to handle what's going on? And so I think it's, it's really upsetting. I know that at the top of the show with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, when in the first segment, we, um, who's Bill this time, we almost, we used to always do three sort of, you know, kind of usually political items. And those these days have been all about Trump, but it's when you're dealing some of these topics of you're talking about war widows and condolence calls and travel bans, it's really um, dark, grisly stuff. So I think that's a problem too. I don't envy the late night guys because I think that this is, I think it's a position. I don't think, even though they're getting a lot of attention, I don't think it's a position. I really don't. I know a few of them personally. I don't think it's a position they want to be in. I think that as Americans, they're, they're just like most people I know, that they're very concerned. That was my conversation with Mo Rocca, comedian and journalist. And a big thanks to him uh, for sitting down with me for a few minutes last week. Coming up, we'll talk to Dilbert creator Scott Adams about his new book, Win Bigly, Persuasion in a World Where Facts Don't Matter. 